Welcome to this special podcast, which we call the One Year Bible Tour Guide, which we hope will encourage you to read through the entire Bible, the book of books from Genesis to Revelation. My name is David McAdam, and I serve as pastor of New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts. We have a daily written commentary that we provide to subscribers, and you can sign up for that at newlife.org. That is www.newlife.org. Each day we will be reading the Bible texts that are published in the One Year Bible and then giving a tour guide to point out some insights that you don't want to miss. So we're going to start with the January 1st readings in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through chapter 2, verse 25. In this book, we have an account of the origin of man, marriage, family, human disobedience, murder, and the development of government and culture. We discover how God and man are intimately related. We see the inherent dignity in mankind. God made him in his image and after his likeness. We recognize the equal status of the sexes in that in the image of God he created him male and female. Although Genesis is not written as a science textbook, the book contains the foundational truths of theology, that is, the science of God, cosmology, the science of the cosmos, anthropology, the science of humankind, sociology, the science of society, hamartiology, the science of sin, and soteriology, the science of salvation. Jesus referred to the Genesis account as being the authoritative word of God. You remember he addressed the Pharisees and the scribes, and he said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? In Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 to 6. Therefore, if Jesus took this as the word of God, we should take it as the authoritative word of God. So we start with the declaration of our origin. We're introduced to the uncreated creator, the one source of all. Let's begin. The Creation of the World, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which there is seed each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, 
and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. And you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Chapter 2 Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. 
Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock, and to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman, and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed. So in this reading, we learn that the Godhead reveals himself as a plurality of persons in a singularity of substance and essence. This is called the Trinity. God is the subject of the first sentence. God is in the plural form, Elohim, with the verb created in the singular form. This plurality in unity is seen also in verse 26, when God says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So as we read through the Bible, there will be a progressive revelation of the mystery of the Trinity, God as a triunity of oneness, a holy echad. Echad is the Hebrew word that is used to describe the triune God as one. It is a word describing a composite oneness or a community of oneness. We find this word in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Genesis 2, verse 24, Ezekiel 37, verse 17, Ezra chapter 2, verse 64. The God of Genesis 1-1 is the God of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. 
In the Gospel of John, we see the Creator God defined as the Word of God, the Son of God, who is Jesus Christ. In John 1.14, the Word made flesh. As you read through the Bible, you will see that Jesus, the Christ, is the second person of the Trinity. The Apostles also refer to Him as the Creator in Colossians 1.16. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God, is introduced in Genesis Chapter 1, verse 2. With the heavens, God created the heavenly beings, that is, the angels, in Genesis 1 1. This is followed by the account of six days in which various parts of creation are brought into manifestation. In day 1, the light, and he separated it from the darkness. Day 2, the atmosphere, he separated the waters, creating an expanse in between called sky or the heavens. In day three, the land appears as God separated the waters into the seas. And God said, Let the earth sprout with vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind. In day four, God says, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. The greater light, that is the sun, and the lesser light, speaking of the moon, and the stars are also revealed. In day five, God says, Let the waters teem with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth. This speaks of marine life and the birds. And then in day six, God says, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. God also says, Let us make man in our image, male and female. He created them. So we would like to make some observations. Notice what the Bible does say and what it does not say. All the seven days are commended with the exception of the second day. The second day is without any commendation that the expanse of the sky was good nor the darkness. We don't know for sure, but the likely cause is that Satan, referred to in the Bible as the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2.2, was already actively present in the earth's atmosphere as one who had usurped the authority of God and had become God's enemy. We learn about the rulers of the darkness of this world in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. We also notice that in the Bible, the day begins with the evening and is followed by morning. Each day is to begin with rest. Thirdly, we notice that there is no record of a morning or evening on the seventh day in which God rested from his work of creation. God rested because he was satisfied, not because he was tired. This seventh day rest will speak prophetically of the eternal rest that God will provide for those who enter into his satisfaction with the sufficiency of Christ's perfect work of redemption. This satisfaction is eternal. It is not a 24 single day of rest, but it is a forever rest that we find in Christ. Christ is our true Sabbath. He says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Whereas the plants, birds, fish, and animals were created after their kind, when God created the human race, he said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. In other words, after our kind. The high privilege of human beings is that they are created to mirror the moral character of God as his image bearers. What do we notice in Genesis chapter 2? In Genesis 2, we see the first man, Adam, in his created state of untried innocence, not yet in perfect obedience. 
He is a picture of all that Jesus would be as man, except that Jesus is the perfect man in the state of perfect obedience. In the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the second man in 1 Corinthians 15.47 and the last Adam in verse 45. A bride was taken from Adam's side to be his co-regent, one appointed to reign together with him in oneness. Adam, the first bridegroom, was put into a deep sleep. The word sleep is used in the New Testament for a believer's death. Death is no longer seen as the wages of sin, for our sins have been paid for by Jesus taking the death penalty our sins deserved in Romans 6.23. But instead, death for the believer is likened to a sleep, a transition into a new state. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. A bride was taken from Adam's side to be a partner he could perfectly correspond with. She would compliment him and be his co-regent. Jesus fulfills this prophetic picture as the second man, the heavenly bridegroom. Adam was put into a deep sleep which foreshadows Jesus being put to death on the cross, though he knew no sin. His shed blood and sacrificial death not only provided atonement for our sin, but made possible the formation of a bride, the church, as his eternal companion. What a beautiful prophetic picture this is. And the word for forming the bride in the Hebrew there is actually the same word as building. In Genesis 2.22, the Lord God fashioned. The Hebrew word is bana, built. The Lord built into a woman the rib he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And Jesus said in Matthew 16.18, I will build my church against which the gates of hell will not prevail. The Apostle Paul writes of this mystery in the book of Ephesians, and he refers back to Genesis chapter 2. For we are members of his body, that is Christ's body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. That's Ephesians 5, verses 30 to 32. You see, Jesus left his father's house to gain a bride at the price of his own life. In this prophetic picture, Jesus, like the first man, Adam, must be put into a deep sleep, a picture of his death. And we can see how the wounded side of the first man points to the wounded side of the second man. In John chapter 19, verse 34, you remember that one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. We can also see here, in his wounded side, a portrait of our purchase as the bride of Christ, the church, the eternal companion of the Lord, destined to reign with him in wedded oneness in the ages to come. From his side, redemption flows. The church is purchased with his own blood. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, you recall that the Apostle Paul says in his speech to the elders at Athens, he says, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So those are some observations that you don't want to miss in reading the first two chapters of Genesis. 
Now let's read the New Testament portion. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheatiel, and Sheatiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Methan, and Methan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon fourteen generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ fourteen generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Chapter 2 Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. 
and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The Gospel of Matthew presents Jesus as the fulfillment of the many Old Testament prophecies regarding the promised Messiah. He's writing to primarily a Jewish audience, and he is careful to point out that Jesus was, quote, born king, end quote, in Matthew 2, 2. He is the king of kings, the prophesied son of David, whose kingdom rule would be without end. He is the promised seed of Abraham, who would bring the blessing of salvation to all who believe from every nation. The genealogy that Matthew gives for Jesus of Nazareth demonstrates to the reader that Jesus legally qualifies for the messianic title as a descendant of David. Matthew records the ancestry of Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus, to whom Jesus was the legal heir. It is believed that Luke records the ancestry of Mary in Luke chapter 3, verses 23 to 38. His account of Jesus' genealogy demonstrates that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was also a direct descendant of King David. The prophecies for Messiah could not be fulfilled by just anybody. The Messiah must be a descendant of Abraham through the royal line of King David, according to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, and Psalm 89, verse 3. Matthew's genealogy apparently traces Joseph's legal line of ancestry through Solomon, while Luke's genealogy traces Mary's line of ancestry through Nathan. We see God's sovereign mercy in the genealogy of the Messiah. Jesus' ancestors made many foolish mistakes, which we will see are recorded in the Old Testament narrative. It is a picture of God's grace. He provides unmerited favor towards sinners and even includes sinners in his plan to accomplish his purposes. God was at work throughout history to preserve his purpose of bringing forth a Savior. You remember in Matthew 1, verse 21, She will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. When the angel instructed them to name the child Jesus, it's because the name Jesus, Yeshua, means God to the rescue. God is our salvation. And we see that our salvation is found through the person and work of Jesus, Yeshua, God to the rescue, Jesus of Nazareth. We'll see how he accomplishes 
that rescue as we continue with the gospel in future days. Now for our reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You will notice that Jesus is the blessed man of Psalm 1. He not only had a heart for the law of the Lord, delighted in the law of the Lord, walked in the law of the Lord, but he fulfilled the law of the Lord on our behalf. We will be blessed as we meditate upon his word both day and night in this year, and we're warned not to adopt the mindset of the unregenerate person, so often subject to temporal moods, surface evaluations, and false narratives. Instead, we're to delight in the law of the Lord. We know who we are, that is, identified with Christ, where we are, positioned in Christ, where we have come from and where we are going, and what we are to be doing on our way. What a blessing it is to have the law of the Lord. By the law of the Lord, we mean the Word of God. Through the Word of God, we can distinguish truth from error, right from wrong, and life from death. We can bring forth the fruit of the Spirit rather than the works of the flesh. So as you read through the Psalms, you will notice the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Here, the righteous does not mean moral perfection, but being in a right relationship with God through faith in His Word, Jesus Christ. The wicked refers to those who are not rightly related to God through faith, but walking in the darkness of their unbelief and the counsel of this corrupted world system. We conclude today's reading with the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verses 1-6. through 6. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Just as we saw Jesus as the fulfillment of the blessed man in Psalm 1, in Proverbs 1, we see that Jesus is our wisdom from God in 1 Corinthians 1.30 and Proverbs 4. We look to the Lord for wisdom. We look to Jesus. We look to the Word made flesh. We look to the Word of God, the written Word, the living Word. We need wisdom, the ability to properly apply correct knowledge. We get our proper bearings from God's Word. When we come to the Bible, we can say, Here is wisdom from above. The Holy Spirit guides us into the truth and the experience of God's Word. The words wise or wisdom are used some 125 times in the book of Proverbs. We need God's instruction and power to apply the correct knowledge to our daily decision-making and activities. So, Lord, we thank you for your Word. Thank you for the book of Genesis and for the book of Matthew and Psalms and Proverbs. We ask that you would teach us to rightly acknowledge you 
and to relate to you as our creator, redeemer, our righteousness, the one who secures our blessedness and our heavenly wisdom. Lord God, we ask that you will bless our next journey through the Bible in this new year. We ask that we be transformed by the renewing of our minds and by continuing in the truth, and we ask it in the name of the one who is truth, in Jesus' name. Thank you, friends, for joining us on our tour of every book of the Bible in one year. We pray that it will be a blessing to you. We ask that you help us spread the word by liking this and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all those who are spiritually curious would start reading the Bible this year and would continue because they have some guidance to recognize important facts and themes from those who have gone before them? Every positive like or subscription or review helps us to reach more people. If you have any questions or comments, you can always write us at podcast at newlife.org. And if you would like to subscribe to a daily email with a written copy of each day's commentary on the Bible passages with illustrations, maps, and charts, you can do so by going to our website, newlife.org. So until next time, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to our God as we rest in the merits of our Savior who rescued us from our sin and gave us new life. Shalom. Peace be with you.